we come to the book of Numbers in chapter 21, and now in this wilderness watering, which the book of Numbers records for us, for the Jewish nation coming out of their bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh to the promised land of modern Israel, then known as Canaan, the 40-year wandering. We know that those over 20 are not going to enter in because of their unbelief at Kadesh Barina. They, were, they refused to believe the promises of God. And so there's a, like a 38-year wandering from there where everyone over 20 passes away in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb who believed the promises. And so this whole generation is growing up in the wilderness, this massive tent city of about two, two and a half million people. And they're there in the Sinai Peninsula kind of going in circles and waiting for things. So we almost get like 35 years or so of silence after Kadesh Barina. And then all of a sudden, as we come forward to this text and what we studied a couple weeks ago in Numbers, now we're on the back end of the journey. And we're just in the last year or two of the journey and on the cusp of the promised land. Miriam, Moses' sister, has passed away. Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, he's passed away. And here's Moses now, like year number 118 or 119, and right on the end of his life, and Joshua's being groomed and trained to be the, the leader that will take the people into the promised land. And now they're kind of sort of breaking out of a holding pattern, and they're, they're, they're going forward. They're, they're headed toward the promised land. And they're in God's will, and they're a nation mobile, getting ready to enter into all those promises. And they've got to go forward. They can't just keep going in circles in the wilderness of Sinai. They've got to get on with what God has for them. And in their journey to the promised land, there's conflict. To get from point A to point B, there's conflict in between the two. And in this case, the conflict is in accordance with God's will. Like if you're in God's will and there's conflict, you just gotta, you gotta deal with the conflict. Some of us don't like any conflict at all, but there is conflict. And when you give your life to Christ, there's conflict against the kingdom of darkness. I mean, we can't just throw Ephesians chapter 6 out of the Bible and say, I don't like that there's principalities, powers of the air that try and destroy me, destroy my marriage, destroy my neighborhood, destroy everything I love. But that is a reality. And we've entered that conflict because that conflict was existing before you were conceived and it'll be existing until Christ comes, sets up his kingdom. And as we read in Revelation 20, he cast Satan into the lake of fire and it's the end game. So we can't avoid this and any more than they could avoid their conflict. So they're in the first part of chapter 21, they get conflict. These Canaanites come after them and try and attack them. And they cried out to the Lord. They made a, a vow to the Lord. He heard the vow. And he honored his word and gave them deliverance. That's their first real battle with the Canaanites, the people that they're called to destroy and take the land from because God gave the land to them, not the Canaanites. And God is judging the Canaanites. And it's all moving according to his divine purposes like we see on our own planet in 2020. Well, then that brings us to verse 4 because as they went forward from that first conflict at Hormah with the conflict with the Canaanites, they have been, if you recall, rejected by Edom to pass through the region of Edom. And so now they have to take this big, long route. So it's, it's inconvenient, it's not favorable, and that's our context as they're moving toward the Promised Land, coming up on Israel from the east side, the other side of the Jordan, through what is now modern Jordan, the country of modern Jordan. So they pick it up in verse 4. Then they, the nation of Israel, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It's a very unusual and unique story for sure. And just by harmonizing scripture, we would understand this represents the gospel of grace and that when we look to Jesus, because the Bible tells us many as believed on him are, are saved and we receive him, we're saved. And so in this text and message, we could understand the gospel of grace, that all these people had to do was look at this serpent, the lifted up bronze serpent, and they would be healed. They didn't earn the healing. They didn't go to a doctor per se. They had to believe when they looked at this serpent, they would be healed. And then when they had the belief, they would be healed. But if they didn't want to look at it, they said, I don't like that we get healed by looking at a bronze serpent, then they don't get healed. It's kind of like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can defy but through him. Well, some people don't like that, so they're not going to look to Jesus. So if you don't look at the bronze serpent, you can't be healed. The only way you can be healed from the serpent's bites, which are fatal, is to look at the bronze serpent, because that's the way God set it up. He allowed the serpents to come, and if someone wants deliverance from the serpents, they must look at the bronze serpent to be healed, and there is no other way to be healed. And that's the apex of this story. And the beauty of this story is, of course, we're not limited to just saying, yeah, this, of course, is clearly a type of the cross and Jesus Christ and looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, like they look to the bronze serpent for deliverance from their being smitten by the vipers. But Jesus himself interprets this passage for us. For in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, in speaking, the context was when he was speaking to Nicodemus about being born again, and then building toward John 3.16, the famous passage, where Jesus says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So you see, this story Jesus interprets for us as representing him and the gospel of grace proclaimed to us and summarized in John 3.16. So with that New Testament full understanding by the Holy Spirit through Jesus himself. So Jesus spoke it and the Holy Spirit records it for the scriptures. We have a full multidimensional understanding of what was going on here in the wilderness with the Israelites. So again, it's one of those passages like we read where these things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. That serpent on the pole is a shadow of things to come, but the fullness is Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, we come to the full context of this story now, because again, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that these things were written for the church, for our admonition. So we need to look at this story for our admonition, and how appropriate that this text comes up for us on the last Saturday of 2020, as Jack was praying in a year where so many difficult and challenging things have happened for the human race on planet Earth, all of us, the entire planet, and then many difficult and challenging things for American citizens many difficult and challenging things for Californians in our state. And if we live in Los Angeles, particularly very difficult things for those living in Los Angeles because things have been much stricter and more difficult in Los Angeles from jobs, school, government, churches. It's been a much harder, different thing. So even like the county of Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles has been much more difficult than us for us here in Orange County. And we realize that it's been difficult for our families. It's been difficult for our homes. It's been a very unsettling time, 2020. But yet I am reminded 
as we should all be, that a lot of great things happen this year. I certainly hope they happen for you. Just even being with Jack in the back before coming, I thought, you know, Jack McEwen graduated college this year. That's pretty special. I mean, some of you have watched your kids walk and graduate college. Bree graduated last week, you know, GCU. It was different, right, Rylan? But, you know, I know it's like to watch. I watched Timmy graduate Cal Maritime four years ago. I watched Luke graduate GCU Grand Canyon a couple years ago. And Jack graduated college from UC Irvine. That's, that's a really big deal. You don't negate his accomplishments. I mean, it's a big deal to graduate from a UC school. And he graduated from a UC school. That was a huge accomplishment. So we say, Prophet Jack, and Jack got engaged. So exhibit A is Jack. He got himself a diploma and a girl. Okay? And so for Jack McEwen, it's been, a, it's been a great year. He's confirmed the love he feels for this woman, and she wants to marry him, and it's, you know, there's a wedding date in 2021. So don't put the apocalypse before summer of 2021, because it's a big day on Jack's calendar. And that's a reminder to us all, right? Like, it's all through the perspective we have, a perspective of faith or unbelief, and a perspective that things can work together for good and do work together for good to those who love God, or if it's just uh, sort of that schlep rock, it's a bad day, it's never going to get better. And we don't ignore reality, but we want to see it all through the prism and the optics of faith in whatever's going on. And that's the lesson for us in this story, because these things are written for our admonition. This text is powerfully affirmed for us in the New Testament. And as we look at this text tonight, we realize it's look and live. That's really what the text is. Look and live. Look at the serpent, the bronze serpent, and live. And that looking was a plan B to really restore their faith and prepare them to enter into the battles that come in this chapter. Because after this, they fight Sihon and Og. They have major war after this event. Joshua leading them, and they're victorious. This was a major event right before even bigger events that prepared them to enter into all that God had for them in the promised land. So in the end, they, they need to look and live. And I would say tonight as we look at this text and think about our lives and as we wrap up 2020, it really is how we frame things. It really is a matter of perspective, how we want to look back on 2020. I haven't watched TV all year, but with my dad coming home, you know, my dad's no longer in assisted living. We brought him home a couple weeks ago. So we have, you know, football games on and stuff like that. And, you know, dad, fo- football's engaging for my dad. He'll, he'll watch an entire football game and be engaged with it. But, you know, we're seeing all the commercials now. And you hear the, as my dad used to call them, the talking heads, when they're just going on and on and on about this and that and stuff that is nothing, doesn't mean anything. But I, I've been hearing people just talk about what a hard year it is for everybody all over the TV, you know, it was like, it's such a hard year, it's such a difficult year, so I think really, universally, most, most people on the planet feel like it was a really bad year, even people who did whatever they did with this year, most people say they can't wait to get past 2020, and just get to 2021, well, I don't know what 2021 holds, we might want to come back to 2020 based upon 2021, right, So I don't want to just throw 2020 under the bus. I've been thinking about 2020. A lot of good things happened in my life. A lot of challenging and difficult things that were gut-wrenching happened in my life that caused a lot of tears and sorrow, a lot of frustration and exasperation. But you know, a lot of good things happened in me personally this year and happened for our family and happened for Jack McEwen and people like Jack 
And I think that's important to keep in mind as we look at this text. It says that they're on this journey, and they're in the last year or two before they enter in. And who knows what we're on the cusp of entering into for each of us in our walks with the Lord for all eternity. But we're all on a journey. Even for Christmas, I got another thing saying, enjoy the journey, right? Because we're reminded that we're on a journey, and we choose to enjoy it with the Lord. Heaven is our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this is all preparing us for the kingdom and all that God has. And they were on a journey. And it says that they, they had to go around Edom. And so, like many journeys, it doesn't go the way you plan it. There's things get out of whack. In 2020, of course, things really got out of whack. Some people had thriving businesses in March, on March 1st, 2020. Some of those people don't have their businesses right now at all. Some people had great jobs on March 1st, 2020. Some people have no jobs at all. Some people didn't like their jobs on March 1st, 2020, and they're thankful they have a job on December 31st, 2020, right? Who could have thought on March 1st that our kids would be going to school with shields and masks? And I see kids going to school at one in the afternoon for two hours, right? And I'm like, is that just Huntington Beach? Like, it's just... If someone says, what's school like? You lose track. I don't even know what school looks like. If I, I don't have elementary kids, I don't even know. And it's been crazy. We know that. The journey has not gone the way we thought it would go. Whatever goals you wrote down for 2020, boom, right? They got blown up, or not necessarily blown up per se, but they got restructured. Like I said, it's a matter of the optics and how you frame it. And that's what happened to them. These are people of covenant. They're on a journey. God's leading them, and they're going to enter in. We're God's people of covenant. We're on a journey. God's leading us. We're going to enter in. But it says they became very discouraged. Not just discouraged, very discouraged. It's one thing to be discouraged. There's things that discourage us. They weren't just discouraged. They were very discouraged. And it even says that they became discouraged on the way. And again, I think contextually, like just being transparent, like 2020 has discouraged a lot of people on the way. We hear things like, I mean, we're all tired of the word unprecedented, right? Like that word came and went, that's so like springtime 2020. We don't even say unprecedented anymore, right? That's, oh, you're so spring 2020 when you say unprecedented. That word's long gone. I think the words we would use now are like exasperated. Like exasperation is a word that is greater than frustration. I just don't know. Like I just, I'm exasperated. Like these teachers are out. That whole classroom's out, this pod of group of people, or just even talking with Kaylee and her job with Starbucks, how these stores are closed, they're open, they consolidate employees, oh, someone's got a cousin who's got COVID, and now they've, they're out, they lose these people, opening, closing, expanding, retracting, and it's been exasperating. So we can say very discouraged, or we could say exasperating, and you're trying, and, and again, in the ministry, it's been very, with the churches, it, with the churches, just like the variation, again, of what state you're in, what county you're in in California, what the health department say in Orange County versus Los Angeles County, or the city of Los Angeles. I, I've lost track. Who's got the final say on so many things? And the Supreme Court said this, but what's that really mean? And it, it can be just be exasperating. Indoor, outdoor, and you're in the restaurant business. It's just, yeah. So we've gotten... I think it's safe to say at some point in time, we've all become discouraged on the way or exasperated on the way. But herein is the really test because the optics of faith, the vision of faith will allow things to work together for good because they're conforming us to be more like Jesus. It's refining our flesh and our pride and our rights 
And it's, it's allowing God to transform us from glory to glory. That's what's meant to happen when difficult times come. Paul the Apostle, when writing the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he said that he despaired, that they despaired even of their life. Paul the Apostle, who could heal people with a handkerchief, he said, we despaired even of our life, that we were perplexed beyond measure. They were so clueless at, at that point, what he was talking about in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. But he said that these things were for good because the God of all comfort comforted them in their difficult place. I mean, think what a deep, dark valley it had to be for Paul the Apostle to say that they despaired of life and they were perplexed beyond measure. Paul the Apostle said they were despaired of their life and perplexed beyond measure. But in the end, through the vision of faith and the perspective of faith, he said, but this allowed the God of all comfort to comfort us so we can comfort you. So in that moment for a believer like Paul, he was to find comfort in the Lord. Like we talked about David recently when the Amalekites took all the family and all the people in Ziglag. David, it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's hopefully what we've been doing individually and as families and as a church family and as a body of Christ worldwide is to strengthen ourselves in the Lord that through faith and letting God work, we would we'd be getting stronger in the Lord, not frustrated with the Lord, but getting stronger in the Lord. That would be the positive of what can happen here. Like in this passage where it says he became very discouraged on the way, do we think that Joshua was discouraged? Do we think that maybe Caleb was discouraged? So if Caleb's like 86 when he goes in and takes Judah and claims that territory of Hebron. So he's like early 80s at this point, 83, 84. Maybe he was really discouraged. Maybe he had... When the serpents are biting everybody in the camp, he's like going, I cannot do this another day. And his wife was maybe strong that day and said, Joshua or Caleb, you can do this. You got this, honey. You got this. Or maybe his daughter, who's gonna, he's going to give the wells to when she marries Othniel, she's like, oh, dad, dad, you can do this. Dad, you got this. I, I, I'm just, the mom's like, just leave dad alone today. It's a bad day for dad. Just, you know, yeah, let's just move on. Dad needs a space. But then maybe there's the, the night when Caleb's wife had a bad day. She's like, honey, I'm done. I'm sick of these, these neighbors. I'm sick of this, man. Uh, let the vipers bite them all. I'm sick of these people murmuring, complaining about everything. They're, honey, they're out there complaining about manna. Well, okay, honey, let's just go to our tents and think about it. Like, these are real people. They're not superhumans. They're people just like us. And they, I'm sure that Joshua had his days. Well, in fact, before he goes in the promised land, how many times did God say, be strong and have good courage? Like if God says over and over, like, be strong and have good courage, 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 it probably means like, you know, when, they, when the, the command of the Lord's army, Jesus, uh, the Theophany in the Old Testament, appears to Joshua, Joshua's like, are you for us or against us? He says, no, but as a command of the Lord's army, I've now come. Okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to march around Jericho, and I'll tell you what to do. But like, I mean, Joshua's about to step in for Moses. Like, no big shoes to fill there, right? How did they fall on the heels of Moses? That's what Joshua's getting ready for. So I bring all this context because these people are, they were men and women of faith. And they didn't, they might have been discouraged. 
They probably were. They might have been exasperated. They might have been affected by unprecedented things. Like, who's ever seen serpents biting everyone in the neighborhood? Can you imagine if you woke up behind them and just like, wow. Man, <laughs> you know, like, you go back inside. There's serpents. Like, when did that ever happen? Like, we just got past, we just finally, after three decades, figured out that, you know, people really did gag on the quail. Rotted right between their teeth. Oh, that really happened. And then you wake up one day, the people are murmuring, and there's serpents. That's unprecedented. And people were discouraged. Very discouraged. People who are going to perish in the wilderness, maybe still that last group of people over 20 not entering in, but also young people or people that were under 20 but grew for 38 years in the wilderness. And they're discouraged. It's like, man, why my generation? Why? Gosh. Like, I'm gonna, by the time I get to the promised land, I'm going to be too old to enjoy it. How many ever thought of that before? Not you younger people, but, you know. Like my dad said, you know, Joe, once you finally pay off your house, like, you can't even live there anymore. Life isn't about fairness. It's about who's on the throne, like the song we were singing, the last song, and what we believe and how we trust and believe in the Lord. They were very discouraged. In fact, they're discouraged in their souls, we're told, that in their very souls, they were discouraged on the way. So... I think it's important as we think about this to, to not think it's that unique to be discouraged or exasperated or frustrated. And the ultimate discouragement affects the soul. Like David, all those songs, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And it's not that we ignore the reality of these things, of the human emotions and what we go through with frustrations or anger or sadness or sorrow grieving with loss of loved ones and all these different things. Frustration that we lost our jobs and people that deliver products on the world now? Like, what can you do? I mean, you see the frustration where all the small businesses, 100,000 small businesses went out of business in America this year. And people that are super rich got richer in many cases. And people are like, who's going to take care of the small businesses? I don't know. And we don't need to worry about that. There's different breaking points for different people. I'm not saying those things don't matter. They do matter. But in the end, God's working on eternity and he's working in our lives. And it's important that as we approach breaking points and have been through breaking points in life, relationships, jobs, school, everything, that we're framing it with the eyes of faith. It's okay to recognize discouraging circumstances, but it's very important to stay in the moment and trust in the Lord in that moment. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Sufficient is the trouble for today. And so we're reminded just to stay in the moment. God clothes the lilies of the valley. He feeds the birds of the air. And we're trusting him to raise us from the grave. We're trusting him that when we breathe our last, that we're transcending dimensions under the blood of Christ and the good shepherd's coming for us. We just sang that song with Jack. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you prepare a table in the presence of my foes. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all days of my life. Psalm 23. We're, we're believing him for that. So if we're believing in Jesus to defy the laws of the universe, the physical universe, time, space, and matter, to raise us from the grave, he's got this. So it's important that we continue to stay in the moment and frame all that's coming our way through the eyes of faith and put, put the mistakes behind us quickly and reload with faith for what's in the moment and what's in front of us around the corner. That's what we... We, we must do. That's what faith does. 
Because faith believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, like love does. And our faith is a, we overcome by our faith. That's what we're told. And so our faith in God's word, our faith in his promises, our faith in his love for us, proven on the cross, and we trust in him, and he's going to see us through it. It's not unusual to be discouraged in difficult times. And again, talking to pastors, particularly in Russia, and just getting updates from Russia, there's been a lot of discouragement for them. There's a lot of discouragement for Russian citizens. There's a lot of discouragement for believers and citizens of the world right now all over the planet. Can you imagine living in London right now and not being saved? How exasperating things would be in the UK right now. I've been to London. I've been to England many times. And I coached the British team in 2011 at the World Championships. And I just, God's got them on that side of the pond. He's got us on this side. So don't be thrown up by discouragement, but don't let it stumble you into complaining against the Lord. Don't let that happen. We have to, it's okay to recognize it, but we have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That's the positive. Then it says also that the people spoke against God, Moses and the manna in verse five. Wow. That's the hat trick. When you speak against the leadership that's called by God, when you speak against God himself, because sometimes people just blame the leadership when they're really mad at God. Like that happens a lot in ministry. You learn that as a pastor. They're not really mad at me, but they're mad at God. But I represent God, so they're going to tear into me. That, that's very common in the ministry, in case you feel called to ministry. Um, guilt by association, right? And, but then it's not enough to that they're, they are blaming God and Moses. So at least they've moved on from, because we've seen them blaming Moses before, right? Moses and Aaron. Now like, no, we, they go together. We're blaming Moses and we're blaming God. It's all out in the open. And on top of that, here's where we really cross the line. Let's curse the manna. Wow. You know, some people, when they melt down, they really melt down. And when you're cursing manna, that's like, it's pretty raw and open right there. Moses, the leadership, God himself, and the manna his spiritual sustenance for them, which really speaks of Christ. Because again, Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And he said, your fathers still perish, but I'm the bread of life. And he that eats of me will have everlasting life. So the manna speaks of Jesus, just like the rock that the water came from speaks of Jesus. So in a sense, they're, they're blaming Moses, the father, and the son. Right here, wow. We don't want to do that. See, this is the negative. Okay, so they're discouraged. We understand that. We all know it's like to be discouraged at any time in life, but particularly in 2020. But now they're speaking against God, Moses, and the manna. It's a chain reaction. See, if we don't frame disappointment and discouragement and things that exasperate the soul, if we do not put the optic on those things through faith, if we don't set those before the throne of God with the promises of God and the word of God, there's going to be a chain reaction. And we're going to go, we're going we're gonna to slip from discouragement into a deep despair. And some people never come back from that. We can go into a slew of response to where frustration becomes total despair. And ultimately where despair runs its full course, you know where it goes? Unbelief. That's the end game of despair, is to come to a place of unbelief. Where you choose to embrace despair and bad events and circumstances over the promises of God that triumph over them. 
But that's where despair becomes unbelief because, like I said, they became very discouraged on the way. And it was discouraging what Edom did to him. It was discouraging to have to go on circles in the wilderness for 35 years because of a previous generation's bad decisions. But in the end, each person must decide to live by faith in their timeline, in their journey, in their circumstances that affect them individually, their household, their community, and the world around them, and their timeline. And it's important that we, we, we be aware that that despair does not give way to full-on despondency and then just drop right over a cliff into unbelief because that's, that's the sin. The, the alt- because again, Paul despaired of life, but he didn't go from being despaired of life over the cliff of unbelief. Like Paul never came to a place in his despair and heartache that he's blaming God, cursing God, cursing manna, and just saying it's over with and it's doom and gloom and there's nothing left for us to do. Paul always was like, even in his last letter, he said, hey, no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. And the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion. He will always deliver me. To the day he was executed, I'm sure Paul was triumphant in his faith right to the last moment. Because he had a conquering faith and were more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us, we're told in the Bible. We don't want to curse God. We don't want to curse the leadership. How many people have cursed church leadership this year? How many people who look to man, or women, men and women, in usurping Jesus Christ in their life all this time, where are they now? How many people don't go to church because they curse the manna? How many people have just become so discouraged they don't come to church? And there's, there's good reasons, particularly, of course, with COVID, if people are uncomfortable, we get it. So don't misunderstand me. I live with a 90-year-old now. I'm very much aware of that, all right? But... There are people who just needed one excuse to to just not come to church and to not seek the Lord. So forget about coming to church. Let's just talk about not even walking with the Lord. But they do kind of go together because we're like coals, right? You know, when the coals are together, fellowship. But you take the coal away from the fellowship, isolate it, and it dies out faster. And we're told that we're to be together. So whether it's through Zoom groups like we did during April and May, we did the Zoom groups. They were very, they were clunky, but they were edifying, right? Like, I mean, the Zoom was clunky for fellowship, but it was edifying. I can say that for my wife and I, we did it for like eight weeks, right? And I got to tell you, every time I got off, I was built up and edified. It was, you know, clunky, but it was still fellowship in that sense. But see, there's some people that they don't want to go to church and they don't want to do Zoom and they don't want to watch live stream. They're over it. A lot of them. And they're obsessed with government decisions or government indecisions or whatever. And don't be that person. We can't be that person. And you're here tonight, but there's people watching on live stream as well. We cannot be that person. Because for me personally, and I've been transparent about this, in the challenges that I faced in my journey, moving in on 60 in March, it's been a long time since I've like been mad at the Lord. Like, I think people get mad at the Lord sometimes. Like, someone you love gets sick and they die, and people are mad at the Lord. That happens. Or, like, the engagement didn't work out, or you didn't get to college. You, just things. Sometimes, like, you can be mad at the Lord when things go against you. And ideally, as you're growing, you realize we're all saved by grace, and we're, we're good to be saved by grace, and we're under the blood. And broken dreams and heartache, we learn to really trust in the Lord. But there's times we... 
Some people, like, they're just, they, they, they blame God a lot for things. Oh, God, why did I get this job? Oh, God, why didn't he love me? Why did she leave me? And all these things. Is like, and they get mad at the Lord. Like, in 33 years of ministry, I can tell you, I met with a lot of people who they're just venting because they're mad at the Lord. But in my journeys, what I've been through, most of the time, I'm just disappointed in myself, not mad at the Lord. Maybe you can relate to that one. But there have been times this year where I've, I've, I've actually like, wow, I'm, I think I'm kind of like mad at the Lord right now. I'm pretty upset about some things. Because if God's all-knowing and just and righteous, why does it seem like everything's hidden and unjust and unrighteous? And why are you allowing this? Were you like Jonah sitting under a plant stewing? And then the plant's gone the next day and you're still stewing. Like that. Don't raise your hand, but if that's you, then it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you follow mandates and you see people who give those mandates not following those mandates. As they say, good for thee, but not for me. That's frustrating. But you see, us serving the Lord is not based upon someone else doing what's right. It's based upon us doing what's right as God has shown us to do what's right. Our obedience isn't based upon someone else's obedience. Our obedience is based upon being obedient because it's the right thing to do. So just because someone around us or above us or below us is disobedient doesn't mean we become disobedient. We don't change our standards because someone else doesn't live by theirs. There's nothing new under the sun. So, again, we, we, can't, we can't fall in despair. We cannot despise the manna. We cannot blame Moses, and we definitely don't want to blame God. We want to esteem the manna. We want to esteem men and women who are trying so hard to lead the church this year in the most exasperating circumstances. My love and appreciation for people that I've looked up to in the ministry for years has just gone through the roof. My respect and love and admiration for Franklin Graham has always been there. It's way over the top this year. I'm so glad Franklin Graham's alive and to been around to lead the church of Jesus Christ in 2020. And how he handles people that hate him Powerful people who hate him and how he just, he just goes, you know, like that. It's got to hurt, you know, when you show up in New York to provide relief and people accuse you of being a hate monger and all this stuff. Like, it's got to hurt. But he just, like his father, like his sister, like his daughter, like, it's got to hurt. Like, you just, Skip Isaac watching Skip. We know Skip. We love Skip. And Skip loves us. He's offered to help our church in the last couple of years at different times for different things. He's made himself available to me. And we've watched him navigate this stuff. And as I say, to see him try and do everything he can for nine months to abide by the laws of the state in one of those difficult states, And just watch how gracious he was for those over him politically and those beside him spiritually. And how he was attacked from those people who opened churches. And then he was attacked when he opened his church because he had no choice. There was nothing left and he felt it was conviction. We, We need to do what we need to do for the Lord now. And to see the hatred voiced against him, my love and respect for Skip Isaac has just gone up so much. In 2020. You know, I was, I, I've always liked Skip. When he was at Calvary Costa Mesa for a couple years there, when, you know, in the mid-2000s, when he was there, some of you might remember that. I was like, I love Skip, man. Like, that guy would have been a general in World War II. 
Him and Don McClure, you know, they would have been on different, you know, the West, you know, different parts. But I mean, Skip is the smartest guy in the room. And he's a spirit-filled man. And to watch him be exasperated, the church is thriving, there are new campuses and all this stuff, and he's got a, oh, just so much respect for him. Jeff Johnson, Pancho, Raw, John MacArthur, all these people, man. I've just gained so much respect for these spiritual leaders and their wives and how they've handled things. What a trying time. Don't blame the Lord and don't blame his people. And definitely don't curse the manna. Amen? God is good all the time. So let me say it again. God is good all the time. And all things work together for good. And we cannot lose sight of that. And then finally, the third thing that we see. So the people became discouraged. And the people spoke against. And we don't want to do that. But finally, we see that even when the people were bitten by the fiery serpents, they, they actually confessed their sins. They said, we have sinned. I mean, there it is. I mean, this is the gospel. We have sinned. Confess with your mouth. You know, like confession of sin. Jesus said, repent and believe, right? It's the first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. So they say we've sinned, and they cry out, and the Lord provides a healing. So all they had to do was look on the bronze serpent, which represents Christ. Now, why a serpent, though? Well, I mean, Satan is that serpent of old, and Satan was cast out from heaven. Satan is allowed in time, space, and matter as an alien. He's the opposite choice of choosing good choices and choosing God's love. It's to choose unbelief. There has to be a choice because love always has a choice. He's author of all things evil. And really, the promise of Jesus conquering Satan is that he would crush the serpent, the head of the serpent. But the serpent would bruise his heel, which is Jesus on the cross. So if you really think about sin and the snake, sin and serpent go together. And Jesus on the cross is the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus on the cross is not so much beautiful Jesus teaching the children, let the little children come to me, or teaching the Beatitudes, or glorifying the mind of transfiguration. Jesus on the cross is us looking like a snake because he's dying for our sins. There's nothing pretty about the cross. The cross is ugly. It's brutal. It's vicious. He's beaten beyond recognition, and by his stripes we are healed. So that serpent being lifted up by Moses, that's Jesus on the cross. And it's like, oh, it's repulsive. Like, what if it was something glorious, like, like Jesus looking glorious? Like crucifixes going up in the Catholic Church, they, they make them look pretty good sometimes, right? You can make a crucifix look pretty good. But a bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness when people are dying, being bitten by a snake, that's not attractive. And let me be clear, there is nothing attractive about Jesus on the cross. There's nothing attractive about our sins. There's nothing attractive about God judging his son for our sins. But there's no other way. That bronze serpent is as ugly as ugly can be. And it's offensive to look at it. But what's the cross? The cross is an offense. And why do we preach the gospel? Because it is an offense. It offends our pride. It offends our unbelief. But without the remission of sins, there can be no healing and forgiveness from sins. Paul said, if I cease to preach the cross, I cease to preach the offense. The offense is that bronze serpent lifted in the wilderness. That is offensive. And it was offensive to people. I'm bit by a snake. I'm dying. I got a venomous, like a rattlesnake or a water moccasin or something or a cobra. And I'm dying. And like, honey, just go outside and look at the bronze serpent. I don't want to. It's ugly. 
How do you know you haven't even looked at it? Well, because I'm master of my destiny, if I choose to die in my tent today in the Sinai Peninsula, that's my choice. It's my life. That's right. So die with your viper bite if that's you in 2020. But if you're willing to say, I have sinned and look upon the bronze serpent, you can be saved. All you have to do is look and believe. It's like Naaman, when he came to be healed in the, uh, the land of Israel, the Syrian general, and he had leprosy. And he was ready to do anything. He was ready to buy it. He was ready to do great things to show how great he is to be healed from leprosy. And Elijah said, I'm not going to talk to him. Just tell him to go dunk in the river seven times, the Jordan River. He was so mad. He left the He was hot, hot mad, like kicking stuff. No one tells me to dunk in the Jordan River. Are there not better rivers in Syria to, to be washed in? And the servant's like, dude, you're really ready to buy it all? You brought all these treasures with you? I mean, it's a pretty simple thing. Just dunk in the Jordan River. Jordan River. But it was the pride. And right, seven times. So each time he's like, well, you know, but sometimes it's like, it's praising Jesus. See, it seems simple enough to look at the bronze serpent, but you have to have a humble heart because God resists the prophet, gives grace to the humble. Just like the cross. Great glory, if he ever does a crusade again, he might as well just walk out there with a bronze serpent because it's the same thing. Black and white version, shadow of things to come. Oh, that's, what's Greg Lloyd doing with that serpent out there on the center field of the big A, you know? He's just lifting up Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. That bronze serpent he took and said, that's me. Even as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. In a sense, very real sense, Billy Graham and all his crusades he did for 60 years all over the planet Almost every country in the world, he just went around the bronze serpent. Jesus Christ and the bronze serpent, they're one and the same. It's the gospel message. And so you see, there's a simplicity to being healed from the bite of sin and the death sentence of sin because the people died. And sin brings forth death. And we're born in sin and we're all dying. We're born dead spiritually. We're dying physically and we're already dead spiritually to be separated from God all eternity, dead eternally. But again, as Jesus was lifted up like the bronze serpent, if we look unto him, he'll become the author and finisher of our faith. And he'll heal us. And this is the gospel message. This is the good news. And it's no different on December 26, 2020, than it was December 26, 2019. Nor is it going to be any different December 26, 2021. The gospel is the everlasting gospel. And this is the good news. So we can just like enjoy communion and clean out a garage for the last week of the year or whatever else we want to do the last week of 2020. We can close it out because this is good news. All we have to do is acknowledge our sins, confess Christ, look upon the bronze serpent, Jesus on the cross, and be healed and go forward from that in victory and life. That's what we want to do. So you see, the people were discouraged, but the people of faith, even though they're discouraged, they, they still have faith and they press into the Lord. These people, they loathe the spiritual things. We do not want to loathe spiritual things. And we just want to look to the one who's lifted up on our behalf, who brings our healing in all of our best moments, which are still filthy rags, we're told by Isaiah the prophet, and our worst moments, which are worse than we ever want them to be or admit that they really are. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And so we've been lifting up Jesus all year. 
We're going to keep on lifting up Jesus, and we're going to lift up Jesus till the trumpet sounds. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to do the best we can to grow and learn from all the exasperating, unprecedented events that affect our life in whatever timeline we're in and whatever experiences we're facing. We know that he's going to see us through. So be encouraged, worship generation. Have faith and confidence in him.